The Igloo's 2023 March road trip is in the books. And so is the Big East Men's Basketball Tournament. The best conference tournament in all of college basketball. As we see with the attendance figures, all five sessions sellouts with 19,812 strong at the world's most famous arena. And the regular season champs reign supreme as the tournament champions. They, they did so in dominant fashion. I'll talk about how that came to be. And of course, as fun as the past week and a half was on the road covering the biggest men's and women's tournaments, the real fun really started today with the revealing of the NCAA tournament brackets also got NIT brackets. Well, not on the women's side just yet, but the men's NIT bracket is out. Gonna inform y'all of what's happening on both sides. And as we move later on in the week, got bracket breakdowns. More on that, obviously, later on. But welcome to the Igloo, the 2023 March Marathon, day 12. And let's obviously address the final Big East game of the season before the start of the NCAA tournament. Of course, that was the Big East championship between Xavier and Marquette. Xavier in the blue running man jersey, which I'm so glad I got to see in person Last night, the only thing I would have made this better if Marquette complimented that with their gold jerseys. So when I saw them out there wearing white, I was extremely disappointed. So coming in, by the way, my juices were already flowing hearing the great Anna Negron, Seton Hall alumna, performing the national anthem, a tradition unlike any other with Negron performing the anthem for the Big East final. I still remember her doing that at the 2013 Big East championship, the last one of the old Big East, as you all know by now, 10 years ago. But Marquette, you know, they struck first, and Xavier clapped back with a jumper by Jerome Hunter. And then... Marquette started to dominate. They scored 10 unanswered to make it 12 to 2 and force a Xavier timeout. Out of the timeout, freshman Desmond Claude got a layup to go to stop the run, but then Marquette scored nine more unanswered. And in the blink of an eye, 7 minutes and 15 seconds into the game, it was 21 to 4. And for Xavier, I mean, they they dug themselves too deep of a hole. Especially against a fantastic team like Marquette. I'm trying to find Marquette's biggest lead of the night. Uh why am I why am I having such a tough time finding Ah, so I I know where it was, but 
you know, 13 minutes into the first half, it was 33 to 10. 33 to 10. In the Big East final, these are supposed to be the number one and two seeds. And Marquette just made an example out of Xavier. I mean, the Musketeers did rally back a little bit. Um, they actually went on a 10-0 run to cut it down to 13. But by the and now they got it down to 13 on a Sule Boom free throw, which strangely enough, that was his only point of the night. And the lack of productivity from their impact transfer from UTEP really was to Xavier's detriment. Because in the second half, Marquette started the half on a 15-3 run to get their biggest lead of the night at 27. As they were doubling up Xavier 54-27 with 13-16 left to go. So in nearly 27 minutes of action, Xavier had 27 points to show for it. And Xavier, crazy to think, you know, and I jinx myself because I think I tweeted maybe like eight minutes left or whatever that Xavier, I didn't think they were going to hit 50. And then they hit 50 at the three-minute mark. And all of a sudden, a game that was, let's see, at its, what it was at its biggest at, I'm trying to think. So, actually, so Xavier went on a 10-0 run to get down to 17, and Adam Kunkel was really, really good in this game. I mean, well, in the second half, he was really good. I mean, the whole game itself, not great. But Xavier got it down to 13. But Marquette, I mean, it was a really just ugly last few minutes as there were just a combined three points of the final 303. And Marquette, for the first time in program history, their 18th year in the Big East and in just year two of the Shaka Smart era, the Golden Eagles picked to finish ninth in the preseason poll. They are your Big East tournament champions. 65-51, your most outstanding player and your leading scorer on the night, uh, Tyler Kolek with 20 points, 9 of 17 from the floor, 2 of 3 from long range, 8 rebounds, only 3 assists. David Joplin, named to the all-tournament team, 21 minutes off the bench, a dozen points on 4 of 10 shooting, 3 of 6 behind the arc. Cam Jones, the other all-tournament team selection from Marquette, 11 points, 5 boards, 4 assists, 4 of 13 from the floor, 0 of 8 from behind the arc. They got nine each from Omax Prosper and Stevie Mitchell. And then two each from Oso Iguodaro. And Iguodaro, nine rebounds and three assists in 35 minutes. And then Sean Jones with two points in nine minutes off the bench. So as I mentioned, Marquette, preseason ninth to Big East regular season and tournament champions. Led by the player of the year in the Big East and your Dave Gavitt award winner as the tournament's most outstanding player. Here's what Tyler Kolek had to say about, as we circle back to 
what he said at Big East Media Day way back on October 18th. Um, so I'm going to cut out a certain part that um, really kind of ruffled the feathers of uh, John Paquette. Again, I don't blame him. I apologize to him because uh, I probably should have just left the part I left out. I mean, if you watch the press conference on YouTube, you'll you'll hear the whole thing. But it makes me physically cringe watching it again and hearing it back too. So do yourself a favor and don't watch it. Uh, and just take the soundbite here for what it's worth. Here's what Tyler Kolek had to say about walking the walk after talking the talk way back in October. Tyler, uh, back at Big East Media Day in October, when asked about being picked ninth in the preseason, you had some choice words. 144 days later, how satisfying is it for you to have that payoff and, you know, back up the talk by walking the walk? Yeah, that's one thing everybody was saying. Uh, well, he, he could talk now, but we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, we're seeing it now, we're living it. Uh, but we still want to play every day, play every game. Like, like we got that chip on our shoulder. Like we were picking on if we want to go into the NCAA tournament. Like, you know, we're the underdogs in every game because that's been our mindset all year, and, and that's what it needs to be moving forward. So for Xavier, obviously they had a really rough night. I mean, they won the battle on the glass, but they got beat in a lot, basically every other category. Marquette turned it over four times on the whole night. That's it. Xavier, 13 turnovers. And it doesn't help when your star player, Sule Boom, your leading scorer, scores just one point on the night. More on him in a second, but before I jump into the Xavier stats, so the team stats, 21 of 61, that's 34%. Marquette, 36% as a team. Both teams really... Ugh, from three. The Golden Eagles, 7 of 27, that's right around 26%. Xavier, an even 25% at 5 for 20. But Marquette, 14 of 16 at the line. Xavier was 4 of 11, which is just, just downright hideous. I mean, just looking at the free throw numbers, Jerome Hunter went 0 for 1. Colby, Colby Jones went 1 for 3. Sule Boom, 1 for 2. Cesar Edwards, 1 for 3. And Elijah Tucker was 1 for 2. Obviously, this was a tough game for Xavier. I mean, coming off the highs of a really great all-around game against Creighton in the semis. Obviously, a little disheartening to leave the Garden um, without some hardware to take back to the Queen City. So here's what head coach Sean Miller had to say to open up his press conference following a tough defeat at the hands of the Marquette Golden Eagles. I would like to congratulate Marquette. They have an outstanding team. Played them three times this year, and uh, they played great tonight. Great. Uh, I don't know how they feel, but their defense has just really improved as the year went on. You know, uh, and I thought you know tonight there are times when their effort level and their quickness, their togetherness, their communication—it's like there are six players on defense against us. You know. We, couldn't get a good shot and that that is to their credit they have they have a program they have depth uh, they have spirit they have communication 
And uh, tonight we would have had to be at our very, very best to beat them. Uh, on our end, not making any excuses, but where we're at with our depth, playing three games in three days, that's not to our advantage. Uh, I'm looking forward to our guys being able to get home, take a deep breath, get our health and our feet under us, and then be able to come out with a fresh new beginning in next week's tournament. In, in no way, uh, based on what we've done here in New York City, am I disappointed. I thought we represented uh, ourselves, the level of play, Kobe in particular, was outstanding. I thought our performance against Creighton on our end was one of our best. It's just to win this tournament, you gotta be able to do it again, again, and then again. And uh, we weren't able to do it here today. Combination <coughs> of Marquette, and also I think a combination of us running out of, running out of uh, steam because of our lack of depth. So, as I mentioned, Adam Kunkel was the guy that really tried to give a spark to the Musketeers, especially in the second half. I mean, three-point shooting was really, really rough in the first half. But Kunkel, 5 of 17 from the floor, 4 of 9 from behind the arc, finished with a team-high 14 points. The rest of his team was 1 of 11 from behind the arc. And the rest of his team overall was 16 of 44. Desmond Claude, the freshman off the bench, was really good. When Boom was clearly struggling, and he was 0 of 9 from the floor and 0 of 5 from long range, Claude came in, played 32 minutes, 11 points on 5 of 8 shooting, 1 of 2 from behind the arc, 4 boards, and a team-high 3 assists. Jerome Hunter with a double, um, you know, like he, had, he was in double figures, 10 points and 8 rebounds on 5 of 9 shooting. Colby Jones, a really rough night, although he was named to the Big East All-Tournament team. Seven points on just three of 11 shooting. 0 of three behind the arc. Five rebounds. Jack Nungy, a tough day for him. 6.7 rebounds on three of six shooting. And then, boom, Cesar Edwards and Elijah Tucker, each with one free throw. Obviously, Sule Boom had a really, really great game against Creighton on Friday. And in the Big East final, you know, some would go as far as, as to say that, you know, he he no-showed the lights, the bright he couldn't handle the bright lights of Madison Square Garden in a Big East title game. But uh, Sean Miller, very candid about what was going on with Sule that kind of led to his performance, and he made it very clear that, you know, he's not making excuses, but... It does provide a little bit of a plausible explanation for his struggles, but I did want to have a positive spin about it with uh, the way that Desmond Claude played with a lot of poise as a freshman coming off the bench, playing 32 minutes, and being second on the team in scoring in a Big East title game. Obviously, they came out with the loss, but definitely encouraging sign, not just for next year, but even moving forward to this coming week with the NCAA tournament. Coach, on a night where Sule was 0 for 9 from the floor and only had one point in the night, I mean, how impressive was your freshman Desmond Claude stepping up in his place? You know, Desmond has continued to develop. Uh, he's a big storyline on our team. As he's improved both on offense and defense, he gives us some much-needed depth, and, uh, and Colby can talk about that as well. 
who Dez would have been in early December and who he is today. He's no longer a freshman. He's a very good player. We believe in him. And uh, to your point, I thought he did a good job in, in tonight's game under the circumstances. You know, with Sule, he was just out of gas. I mean, he just really was. Um, and he's dealing with kind of like an upper respiratory deal. If you listened to him last night, kind of felt it. Played great, great against Creighton. I don't know if he could have played any better. And uh, he just didn't have the juice today. He, he just didn't. I don't want to make an excuse. And plus, the team he was playing against, it can pressure you with their quickness and their defense as well as any team that we've played all season long. So he didn't have it tonight. He'll bounce back, and I'm excited for him to have a new beginning on Thursday or Friday next week. So congratulations to the Marquette Golden Eagles, your 2023 Big East Tournament champions. And it was a pretty special moment that, you know, Shaka Smart got to have every one of his walk-ons and give them some time on the Big East court, on the Big East tournament court in the title game. It had Jerry, Kennedy, Ciardo, Walson, and Lucas all seeing the court for the final minute. And uh, Kennedy missed a three and committed a foul. So, I mean, there's that. But again, Marquette, well-deserved Big East championship, and they earned it. You know, they played two really close games and then completely dominated in the final. So, for Marquette, you know, they continued their incredible ride into the NCAA tournament, and that is where we segue into, obviously, Selection Sunday. Brackets revealed... And to no one's surprise, the Big East with five teams in the NCAA tournament with Marquette headlining as the number two seed in the East. And they, as you know, in the East, that's going to be held in the garden so they can go right back to the same place where they won the Big East title and try to punch their ticket to the final four in that building, which would be the first for Marquette since that magical run in 2003, exactly 20 years ago, led by Dwayne Wade and Travis Diener. And they just had the 20-year reunion back in January for it, so the timing of it would be pretty pretty neat and pretty sweet. And they'll open up against Vermont in Columbus. And in their portion of the bracket, I'm going to pull this up now. This is on me. I should have had the um, bracket challenge bracket already pulled up. but So Marquette. With a win, which I feel like should and will happen, I'll make my full picks eventually, they will draw either USC or Michigan State. Also notably in their bracket, uh, Kansas State's the three seed. The top seed is Purdue. Duke is also in there as a five seed. Tennessee a four seed. A potential Cinderella team in Oral Roberts, led by Mac a Max Asmus, 
who helped lead them to the 2021 Sweet 16 as a 15 seed. And that's a sexy 12-5 pick, by the way. And then a really good 9-8 game, uh, Florida Atlantic and Memphis. Uh, Memphis coming off the high of you know winning the AAC title and upsetting then number one Houston, who because of that did not get the number one overall seed. Uh, the Tigers now an eight seed. That's going to be an interesting game. Uh, Tennessee, Kentucky's obviously there, and I'll get into uh, another team in a second. The biggest surprise has to have been Xavier as a three seed. They are the three seed in the Midwest Regional, which will be in Kansas City. They open up in Greensboro against Kennesaw State. First ever tournament appearance for the Owls, and they haven't been D1 for a long time. And if they move on, they will face either Iowa State or the winner of a first four matchup between Pitt and Mississippi State. And I tweeted this out. Jahens Maniga, guest of the show, and he said it on here. He's onto something with the conspiracy theory he has in terms of looking for narratives in certain matchups. And you got a in you got a perfect example of that with Xavier with Sean Miller potentially facing his alma mater in the second round. Other notable teams in that region, Houston, the number one seed, who lost out on the number one overall seed. Indiana is also there, who defeated Xavier at the Centos Center during the Gavit Games. Texas is in there as your two seed, the uh, Big 12 tournament champions. And they're going to take on Colgate. Uh, and I have local ties to them. I have a friend of mine who's actually on the coaching staff there from home. Miami's there, co-regular season champs in the ACC. And Penn State, the Big Ten tournament runner-up. UConn is a four seed. If anything, I thought Xavier should have been a four. I think UConn as a four was fine. They're in the West region, but they will play first and second round games in Albany. And... I just can't believe this is who they open up with. UConn faces Iona in Albany on Friday. That's the Huskies against Rick Pitino, who everyone's pegging at this point as being the next head coach of St. John's. And that's going to be an electric matchup in Albany. UConn fans are going to show out. I feel like Iona fans are going to like make their presence felt too, especially, you know, considering that MVP Arena for a long time hosted the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference Tournament, which Iona won a, quite a bit, now quite a few times. So that will be an intriguing matchup, and with a, if they win, they will get either St. Mary's or VCU in that second-round game, which, yeah, that could, that could be interesting. And then the rest of the region, uh, notable... In there, Kansas is your number one seed. UCLA, the two. Gonzaga, the three. So, you know, you got two West Coast teams in the bottom half of the bracket among the top four seeds. Kansas, your one seed. And I feel like if they won the Big 12 tournament, they had a very good case of being the number one overall seed. And then UConn, you got all the way out. 
you know, on the other end of the country. And if they make the Sweet 16, they got to go all the way out to Vegas. Creighton cracks the field. They're obviously going to make it. They're a sixth seed in the South region. They will be heading to Denver and will face 11th seeded NC State. And it's weird, but uh, Denver really isn't as far as one may think from Omaha. So I think Creighton fans... I, they really showed out well in the garden, so now that it's NCAA, NCAA time, I feel like they're going to step it up even more as they uh, head to Denver uh, for their first and second round weekend. Um, they win that game, they will get either Baylor or UC Santa Barbara, and uh, if they, UC Santa Barbara somehow gets the 14-3 upset. Uh, that'll be a rematch of a really, really good first-round game during the 2021 tournament, uh, as we all know, the Indianapolis bubble, where Creighton won a thriller. Uh, other notable inclusions, uh, Arizona is right below them, and they played a hell of a game in the Maui Invitational Final when Creighton was still at full strength, which Arizona won to hand Creighton their first loss of the year. And then at the top half of the bracket, number one overall seed, Alabama's there. Virginia is your four seed. San Diego State at five, which uh, if you somehow get to the Elite Eight, Creighton and San Diego State. Yeah, you got the um, stepbrothers. Um, well, not stepbrothers. Um, I, I just know they're related in one way or another. Uh, Arthur Kaluma and Adam Seco. And then uh, Kevin Willard. You know, tale is all this time. First year at Maryland, and he finds himself once again in the 9-8 game. So, yeah. And then you got Providence. They're in the East Regional as well, along with Marquette. And, again, if there's anything that proves the whole narrative thing that the NCAA is pushing, case in point, Providence faces Kentucky in the 11-6 game. If that doesn't prove to you that the NCAA wants these certain matchups, I don't know what will. And Kentucky, you know, they've been playing better as of late. Uh, they ha- obviously have the reigning National Player of the Year, although he won't get it this year, Oscar Shibway. And like I mentioned, right, so below them, if they some if they win that game, they'll get either Kansas State. Or Montana State. So they they could really use a trip back to the Garden. I mean, they lost both games they played there this year. The regular season game at St. John's where they got upset. And then that Big East quarterfinal game on Thursday against UConn. So I'll have more on the men's bracket. Excuse me, the NCAA men's bracket. uh, Later on in the week. So... Let's transition into the women's bracket, which was revealed a short time after the men's bracket was revealed. Okay, all right, hold hold on, hold on a second. Before I do that, obviously the bracket was revealed. And I have this soundbite that I got last night, and obviously I procrastinated, you know, with, you know, driving back home to Utica, announcing a really fun professional indoor soccer match, which my hometown... And the team I work for, Utica City FC, 
which they won in overtime on a penalty shootout goal. And obviously getting home and watching uh, the selection shows and, you know, compiling my thoughts for this episode. You know, I did have a lot of time to, you know, record um, the episode before the bracket was revealed. But last night, I got to ask Colby Jones about what he thought about the potential of, as a Birmingham native, if they would have gotten sent to Birmingham, how he would have felt about having a homecoming there. Obviously, it didn't come to fruition, but uh, I still like the answer he gave. I know they he didn't have the night he would have liked, and neither did his team, but I mean, he... I already mentioned the Marquette players, but he, along with uh, Ryan Kalkbrenner from Creighton, Adama Sonogo from UConn, each made the uh, all-tournament team, so... It's still a great honor to have for Colby Jones. And here is what Jones had to say. Obviously, I know it didn't come to fruition, but here's what Colby Jones had to say about just the possibility of having that homecoming this year. And even, again, even in a game where he didn't perform well and neither did his team, still good to hear some enthusiasm and excitement uh, out of his voice after such a tough game. Colby, uh, I'm a, I assume you probably know this by now, but obviously with Selection Sunday, you obviously find out who you're playing, where you're going, and one of those cities happens to be your hometown. I mean, has that crossed your mind as a potential homecoming, you know, for uh, the NCAA tournament? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've definitely seen it just like on social media and stuff like that. But, um, I mean, yeah, if we get to play there, that'd be, I mean, that'd be an ideal situation for me. So, I mean, that, that'd be sweet. So, let's get to the NCAA women's bracket. So I was praying to God that the committee would get this right and get five biggies teams in the dance. And thank Jesus they did. So, by the way, first and foremost, I really don't understand the logic behind only having two regionals. They, you know, having half of them in Greenville... And the other half in Seattle. So. I I still can't find. Why the NCAA. Chose that route. So I'm going to do a little quick research. Um, Okay, so the Washington Post had this article. And it was updated, updated today. And of course, it's behind a paywall. That's really, really awesome. And like, this is... And this is why, like, this, it's it's stupid. I'm going to get to the bottom of this, and I don't care how I do it. So, okay, all right, so here's the best I can find. 
Um, so the NCAA, NCAA Associate Director for Media said the committee announced the eventual switch to two regional sites in 2019, named the host cities in 2020, in an attempt to maintain neutral sites for the regional rounds. Um, that's kind of stupid considering that the men still goes with the men still go with four, even though you still have some favoritism with the draw. I mean, dare I say like Kansas and Kansas city, Yukon in the garden, Louisville and Indianapolis. I mean, the list goes on and on. It doesn't make... The logic of it doesn't make sense. But anyways, let's talk about the bracket. So, let's start with... Mm, let's start with the teams that we knew were locks. UConn, Big East Tournament champs, regular season champs. Hosting games in stores, they're in the Seattle bracket, and they will take on Vermont, should be an easy dub, and with the win, they'll face either Baylor or Alabama, and you know, UConn and Baylor have had have waged some great battles over the years, obviously, that was when Baylor had Kim Mulkey as their head coach. Again, I'll have separate episodes breaking down each bracket. Villanova was a team that was one to keep your eye out on, you know, with the hopes that they were going to host and be a top four seed. And yes, they were, as the Wildcats will be playing at the Finn. Uh, Maddie Seegers will have her curtain call as the Wildcats open up the tournament against Cleveland State. And if they win, they will get either Washington State or Florida Gulf Coast. And they are in the Greenville 2 region. Um, they'll face, again, Cleveland State. Or um, then either Florida Gulf Coast or Washington State. Washington State on a roll, having won the Pac-12 tournament in surprising fashion. Other notable teams, the number two overall seed, Indiana's there. Utah, who's had, a, who's had a phenomenal year, as has LSU under Kim Mulkey. Michigan, who made the Elite Eight last year, is in there. NC State, who's had some really good teams over the year. Um, not as great this year, but some really good teams in recent years. Uh, Princeton, Ivy League champs, who are always really good. And then Oklahoma State's the eighth seed. And I only point that out because of the fact that former Villanova Wildcat, Lior Garzon, plays for the Cowgirls now. And UNLV is the most underrated 11 seed. It's kind of like Princeton last year. Where they were an 11 seed despite being a top 25 team. UNLV, same thing. Then Mark, uh, then you go to Creighton. They are a 6 seed, which I really like a lot. And... They are heading to South Bend, Indiana. They will take on the winner of a first-four matchup between either Illinois or Mississippi State. I mean, I like this draw for Creighton. You know, they can win in the first round. And then, as you know, in South Bend, they win. 
They most likely get Notre Dame, who just lost their star point guard, Olivia Miles, due to injury. That could open up the door for Creighton to go back to the Sweet 16, which would be in Greenville as they are in South Carolina's side of the bracket. Also residing there is Marquette, who is a nine seed, playing in Columbia against South Florida. I think that's a good matchup for them. You know, they can, you know, really, for them to get an NCAA tournament win with this group would be huge. But unfortunately, in the second round, they draw, unless by some miracle they lose, undefeated South Carolina, the defending national champions. I mean, it'd be like, you know, I'm not saying they're dead to rights, but like, there's a reason why South Carolina is undefeated. They're really, really good. And, you know, with the game being in Columbia, Colonial Life Arena, I mean, that just spells doom. So we knew those four teams were going to get in for a fact. And I'm really glad the committee put some respect on the Big E's name, not just with Villanova getting a top four seed and with Creighton getting a pretty good seed as well. And Marquette got a 9C too. I thought they'd be more like a 10. But I was pleasantly surprised to see St. John's making it as one of the last four in. Uh, they will head to Columbus, Ohio. Their first four opponent will be Purdue. And if they win that game, they will face six-seeded North Carolina. And then most likely, unless a huge upset happens, they will face Ohio State the hosting team in Columbus. But uh, James Madison, the Sunbelt champs in their first year in this new conference. Listen, my brother's a JMU alum. I got to give them a shout out. Sko Dukes. But most likely Ohio State's going to win. But I'm really glad to see St. John's cracking that field of 68. If, you know, things were the way they were up until last year, they weren't going to make it. And that would have been a bummer. So, in a way, the field expanding to 68, that opens the door for a team like St. John's to have that opportunity. And I'm just more than glad that the committee is giving them that chance. And saw, and Tartamella must have made a great case in his press conference after they lost to Marquette because they had zero bad losses. Sure, their non-conference strength of schedule wasn't great. But they still had zero bad losses. And one at UConn, which that turned out to be the difference. And they still had home wins over Marquette and Creighton. A nine seed and a six seed, respectively. So, that is big. That's huge for, for the Big East and for St. John's. They make, make their first tournament appearance since 2016. So let's talk about the NIT brackets now that they are official. Two Big East teams in the men's NIT. And they're going to play back-to-back on Tuesday. Villanova and Seton Hall are seven seeds. Villanova is facing Liberty. Tuesday night, ESPN2, 9 o'clock. And then at 11 o'clock, as a Seton Hall fan, alum and someone who has a rooting interest for them 
God damn it, this sucks. 11 o'clock on ESPN2. Pirates visit Colorado in Boulder. Which, it gives me PTSD. Because in 2016, Seton Hall, after winning the Big East Tournament, had to go to Denver. And then got blown out by a severely underseeded Gonzaga team that had DeMontis Sabonis, Kyle Wilcher as their fronting front as their starting back front court, excuse me, which is a, it's a it was a crime, and now they got to go back out to Colorado where the altitude is probably going to mess them up. I think we know that for a fact. I mean, I have my picks on that. Um, so Seton Hall's end of the bracket again. They're the seven seed. Uh, by the way, I just want to say, like, cowardly move for UNC to not play in the NIT. At least, like, at least in 2010 when UNC had to play in the NIT, at least Roy Williams played, you know, had them play in it. And he took them all the way to the title game before Dayton crushed them. So, really disappointed and annoyed. by Hubert Davis's decision to not have his team in the NIT. Because, hell, look at some of the other teams. Like, Wisconsin's in it. Oregon's in it. Florida's in it. And Villanova's in that same bracket. And then Michigan's in it, too. Like, and Rutgers is in it. Cincinnati, another historically great program with a couple national championships to their name. But Seton Hall is in Rutgers bracket. It would just be so funny if Seton Hall ended up getting Rutgers in the quarterfinals and beating them to go to the NIT Final Four in Vegas. Which, it's a shame that it's not in the Garden. The NIT is literally ingrained in the history of the Garden. Dating back to the old garden when the tournament started way back in 1938, 85 years ago. But, you know, they had other ideas and that those ideas involved more money. And that money clearly was in Las Vegas. Meanwhile, Villanova's the seventh seed and I listed those notable teams. Oregon's the one seed, Wisconsin three, Florida four. So that is the men's NIT bracket. The WNIT bracket. For 2023, it just came out within the last few minutes of recording. Um, They announced the field of 64. I got to find this bracket. I know it's here somewhere because I have it. Oh, it says it's going to be revealed Monday, March 13th. Um, they, so they announced the field, which includes Seton Hall 
and uh, no other teams from the Big East. So just Seton Hall, the only qualifier from the Big East. No, no WNIT for DePaul. And Seton Hall technically got an automatic bid as the um, top Big East team to get it, to get a bid. Uh, other notable teams in this thing, I mean, Arkansas out of the SEC, Columbia out of the Ivy League. Um, let's see some other notables. FDU, another New Jersey team. Uh, Kansas, tournament team last year. Uh, Nebraska, who's been really good. Uh, Syracuse as well. UMass, who all they had to do was win the A-10, and they choked it away against St. Louis. I mean, that was the epitome of a bid stealer. So UMass is in it, and so are, I mean, some other notable teams. Um, Belmont, BYU, both tournament teams a year ago. Uh, Florida, another tournament team from last year. Same with Kansas State. And uh, Oregon, another team that was, you know, in the tournament last year. And a team that, by the way, you know, obviously had Sabrina Ionescu and were among the very best in the country, if not the best in the country, when uh, the pandemic ended the 2020 season. Who knows if uh, Oregon would have, national title, would have won a national title uh, led by Ionescu. But, yeah, I just wanted to end, you know, talk about the NIT, because why not? I'm an NIT supremacist, I guess. But um, more coming. Um, Hopefully I'll get some bracket previews soon. And, you know, I'm working on getting guests for um, previewing both the women's and men's tournaments. So, again, that's, you know, got to keep the marathon going. Uh, it's going to be weird, you know, tomorrow with nothing going on. And uh, the the madness starts Tuesday night. Couldn't be more excited to get it going. And I got a lot of time, most likely, on my hands tomorrow. And I, I really can't wait to just print out a couple fresh brackets. Because I love printing them out and doing them on paper. I know I do the tournament challenge virtually every year on the uh, ESPN tournament challenge app, but there's just this aesthetic to, you know, printing out a bracket and filling it out on pen and paper. That's just me though. I'm a little old school in that way. So that's going to do it for this selection Sunday edition of the Igloo. And the marathon's going to roll on all the way to uh, March. So March 18th will be the 300th episode in the Igloo's history. And, hey, I made it. Made it to 300. And because it's 300, I might as well end it with this or maybe I'll turn this into my intro in the future. But thank you for tuning in. And to pay tribute to 300, Actually, you know, you know what? No, no, no. I mean, you probably know where, that, where I'm going with this, but I'm going to hold on to it. And I'm not going to use it until I get to that 300th episode because it'll be only be right. It'll be the right timing if I do it. So I'll, I'll hold off. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, happy Daylight Savings Time. 
even though it didn't treat me well with fucking up my sleep schedule, part of my language. So I'm going to get my sleep, my beauty rest, and I hope that I won't, you know, hopefully I'll knock out quick tonight after a long week and a half. As fun as the past week and a half was, it feels really good to be home again. So thanks for tuning in and for staying with me throughout the entire March Marathon. we got a long way to go. Obviously, episode number 300 coming up Saturday for day 18 of the marathon. But again, the Big East tournament coverage was so much fun over the past week and a half covering the women's and men's tournaments. But the real fun starts Tuesday night with the first four tipping off on both sides of the ball and the NIT too. Thanks for tuning in and I'll catch you next time. Catch you tomorrow for another edition of the coolest podcast in all of college basketball, The Igloo with Timmy Ice.